Welcome to the Journey Home Podcast. Life is full of twists and turns, and sometimes we get stuck or lost along the way. Our desire is to be a friend and resource to anyone who needs a little wisdom, advice, or encouragement on their journey. But most of all, we want you to know you're not alone. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey friends, this is Eunice. Thanks for joining me today. Today on my virtual coffee chats with friends, I have my good friends, um, Dan and Nikki. And these are friends that I met Dan in college in a prayer meeting at our church. So we used to attend the same prayer meeting at church and he would dream about Nikki and marrying her one day. <laughs> and so we, I, they are just old friends that we have um, been in touch with and we're just so grateful for them in our lives. They are definitely the type of friends that, you know, if you have a prayer request and you need prayer, like you can ask them and you know they are gonna be praying for you. And we also just had the privilege of being at their wedding. They have been to our wedding. So our friendship goes way back, like I guess about 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dan and Nikki, for coming on. Oh, another thing I just wanted to share. Um, So today our topic is continuing about racial justice. And why I really wanted to have Dan and Nikki on is because they are just both so intelligent. Like a lot of times when they're talking, sometimes I'm like, wait, I'm not exactly tracking with what they're saying. (laughs) They are both Ivy League educated and, you know, Dan is an educator. So I've always appreciated his perspective in that regard. And Nikki is a lawyer and she's working on her PhD now. And so I just feel like they are both just they have so much knowledge and so i just wanted to get their perspective on the racial justice issues going on in our nation right now so um thank you dan and nikki for coming on and is there anything you guys wanted to add to your intro uh it was very generous (laughs) so no nothing else (laughs) i'd like to say thank you for um, inviting us and to speak to your community and being being able to walk with you through this process um the reality is love, justice, and walk humbly with our God. So Micah 6.8 is an absolute essential element of what it means for us to uh, be relationship with you, um, you and your family, as well as being with the community that you're serving through your, through your podcast and through your media. So we thank you for the invitation, and we look forward to be able to talk and, and learn from you and to be able to share what we know. So thank you. Oh, thanks, guys. Okay, so we are just going to jump into the questions. So the first question I had for you guys is how... Um, have you guys encountered racism in America? And if so, can you share some of those experiences? We have, unfortunately. Um, would you let me to go first? Would you let you go first? Go first. Uh, okay, so October, I believe October 16th, uh, 1993, I was a freshman in college at an Ivy League school. And at two o'clock in the morning, um, uh, neighbor down the hall got a telephone call from an on-campus telephone number saying we're going to blow up the nigger door. Oh my um, God. So uh, the, the place where I lived was called the W.E.B. Du Bois College House. It was a house dedicated to African-American culture um, and heritage. And lots of people lived there of multiple ethnicities, races. So it wasn't a particularly dedicated solely in terms of its occupants. But nonetheless, um, someone from 
from from our community, from the broader university, called us that they're going to blow up the nigger dorm. Uh, so at roughly two fifteen in the morning, um, it gets evacuated. The building gets evacuated because they have to do their due diligence to make sure the building is safe. Uh, so that was a rude awakening. That was about a month and a half into my undergraduate experience, and that's clearly an example of racism. Now, so the dynamics. Uh, I guess about nine months before, there had been another racially motivated concern at the university that I attended um, that caused lots of strife. Um, and people were really questioning, like, yo, this is 90, this is 92. <laughs> this, is in, this, this is in Philadelphia. This isn't like Mississippi. This isn't 1965. Uh, this is in the 90s. And so that was a really, really clear example of a broad attempt to intimidate people. Um, that wasn't the first example of racism, but that was probably one of the clearest because ultimately that was, it was it was a bold open threat. Um, and it served the purpose they meant to serve. There was nothing personal about it. It wasn't like they were gonna hurt that particular individual or those sets of people who did something wrong to them. It was just a blanket threat. Um, Turkey with people who they felt were worthy of, of the negative attention. And so that's just one one of a handful of experiences um, and some other broader cultural concerns and issues that African-Americans have, have had to deal with for quite a long time. And that's one point situation from there. Oh, Dan, I'm so sorry to hear that story. That is horrific. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. Oh. Yeah, for... Um... For me, I have um, very, I think, unique experiences with racism, um, in part because I'm very fair-skinned. So not everyone looks at me and automatically thinks that I'm African-American um, or Black. So um, when I was growing up, the area that I grew up in, I'm actually very proudly from Gary, Indiana. Um, and when I lived there, there really weren't um, that many people who weren't African-American in our town. Um, so I didn't actually have a lot of direct experience with racism before the age of 13, uh, just because of where I lived. Um, when I moved away, when I was 13, we moved, we relocated to California, and it was a very different um, ethnic makeup where I moved um, in Southern California. So that's when I really started to have my own experiences with racism um, and in other places as well. But what you what typically happens, I'll give you instead of one precise story, I give you the typical scenario. Mm. The uh, typical scenario is, you know, someone looks at me and I notice that they're staring at me for a while, um, and then they'll eventually say to me um, a question to ask my ethnicity. And so sometimes it's very blunt. They'll just say, "What are you?" Um, which usually makes me want to say, "Human." How about you? Um, but I don't often. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they say that, or sometimes they'll, you know, they'll try to be a little nicer in how they phrase it and say, you know, what's your ethnicity? Um, and I learned pretty early on that as soon as I would say African-American or black, that I was going to be treated, uh, in a negative fashion. So one, I will give one example. When I was in, um, a freshman in high school, someone came over, I was at a new school and I said that to someone at lunch and they literally just picked up their tray and walked away. To another table um and i was just like did that happen <laughs> you know and i didn't have any friends at that point so i didn't have anybody else to Aww. you know talk it over with 
but that was traumatic. Um, or a lot of times I would get into a cab, you know, before it was more, you know, Uber round. And people would ask me, the cab drivers would ask me, and then they would say, oh, and they would just stop talking <laughs> for the rest of the car ride. You know, once I said, either I'm Black or if I said, oh, sometimes I, for a while, I started to say, oh, well, my dad's African-American and my mom is white, um, just to see if people will respond differently, but it didn't matter. Um, and then I was like, well, I'm not going to say that because it's almost like I'm not owning my own identity. So mm -hmm. then I would just use a say because I do identify as black, I'm just going to say black. Um, and then other times people would um, discriminate against me more on the neighborhood I lived in um, because I like to live around African-American black people because culturally that's what I'm more used to. So when I would say, oh, I need to go to this neighborhood, they would say, oh, well, I don't go there. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to drop you off there. I'll drop you off here and you can walk, you know, the rest of the way. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't really know what to do in those situations right so sometimes i would go along with it but the older i got the more angry i would get mm -hmm. you know about those so thankfully i don't i drive myself most, most of the time now and i don't have those kind of experiences but you know definitely you know growing up and you know into my 20s and 30s having those experiences was very damaging oh i'm so sorry uh that sounds really terrible uh, okay, so second question, how have you guys been processing the racial trauma and tension for African Americans this past year? There's more than one response. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say uh, as, a, as a follower of Jesus, um, my identity is found in him. Um, the trauma related to race or ethnicity, gender, um, all get handled the only way that's possible. It's like he bore our sins um, and our grief. He is a man of sorrows. Mm -hmm. uh, so that means a couple of things for me. One, like one, I'm not going to avoid sorrows in this life. Um, I'm not resigned to have to put up with it and not fight against it. But I can't somehow think that somehow because um, I'm a Christian or um, I'm somehow exempt from the challenges and from the pain and the way of sin in the world. Mm. Um, I'm going to be touched with infirmity and sickness in a sense. There's not physical sickness. It's not, it's just a way to sit in the world mm. that I can't get away from. Um, and I'm not looking for the pie in the sky or me and Jesus, we're going to be good and it's all going to be fine. Like I'm willing to fight for justice until that comes. Mm -hmm. but I have to be willing to understand that if he was a man of sorrow, intimate with grief and pain and suffering, that I can't avoid it. Um, one, but two, I have the grace um, to carry, uh, to walk through, to overcome that which the enemy usually destroyed me. Um, mm. I'm not saying it's easy. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's all through the crowd and anguish at times. If I look at the movie on 13, I uh, watch Fruitvale Station. I look at various documentaries, documentaries, or movies depicting um, the mistreatment of African Americans, particularly African American men by police officers or or vigilantes. Um, like it, I call, I cry out in pain when I watch the depictions of these ridiculous things. That's just real pain, man. Yeah. Um, but I know, like. 
I have the grace to love God and love people in the midst of it um, and have to realize like left to my own devices, I'm not going to carry this well. Um, so I, I actually have to be a follower of Jesus because I can't bear the issue for myself. I can't be the kind of person that loves and cares for my wife and my kids. I can be the person who cares for the community that I live in, the urban community that I serve in, um, the part of the global group of people engaged in social media. If I don't actually have to have the grace of God, I walk with Jesus, who's intimate with suffering and grief, and know that he actually knows way more than I do about what it means to bear the cost and the weight of the brokenness of, this, of the world and the sin that's in it. Mm. Um, so I know that he understands intimately what I've experienced and obviously to the ultimate penultimate level. And so that I know that he knows in ways that I can never express with work. Mm. He has to be the one that takes the cue. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, it's been very emotional. Um, it's definitely been very emotional for the past year, though it's really been the past several years that I've been processing these issues more. Um, going back to the murder of Trayvon Martin, um, I think before that, I kind of, we had moved into a suburban area, which was a little foreign for me, but, you know, dance more from those. So I blame him, um, but <laughs> I'm not a blame it all on Jesus. So there's, you know, thankfully we live in an area where it's pretty, you know, it's relative. I won't say pretty, but relatively diverse. And so we do see people from different backgrounds, and you know, people treat us well here. Um, and so for me, it got a little comfortable and seeing the, the video of Trayvon Martin being, you know, chased down and murdered, um, really was a reminder of, you know, things that I have experienced in the past and seen. Um, and it was very scary for me because my son was, you know, preteen at mm. that. And to look at him being treated that way, is like, wow, that could be my son, um, and, you know, you go through, and I'm sure you probably, and your listeners have probably heard about, you know, the talk that people have, you know, with their children. Um, but it was, you know, starting to have those conversations at an earlier age than I would like to. Um, yeah. And then even processing, you know, when I was growing up um, and when I did live in California in the 90s and the police abuse was pretty bad. Um, you know, remembering the talk that my older cousins had with me and what we would have to do whenever we were out and, you know, even being pulled over. Um, this when my hair was short and my girlfriend's hair was short. Sometimes the cops would think we were guys. Um, and so they would pull us over and be ready to, um, you know, kind of come really hard at us. And then they would decide, we realize we were girls, but then they would still ask inappropriate questions and try to, you know, um, search the car without proper authority, um, which is one of the reasons I became a lawyer, by the way. <laughs> but um, Oh, wow. So it like brought up all these memories and then I just started thinking, you know, I'm really not okay with this and I need to find a way to, you know, talk about these issues with other people and to make a positive influence. Um, and so that was actually one of the reasons I ended up going back for the PhD because I wanted to learn more and to be able to write about it. Mm -hmm. um, so the first project I did as a, um, I had to get a master's first. And so the first project I did as a master's student was searching um, old newspaper articles, based like 50 years of newspaper articles on um, police brutality in wow. African-American newspapers and to try to connect the themes over time. Because my hunch was if it happened, you know, when I was growing up, I obviously know it happened in the 60s and before, 
So I really wanted to see like, have we progressed as a society or are these the same issues that just happen over and over? So in short, my conclusion was it is the same issues that happen over and over. Um, but it was, it took on a new reality for me um, this past year, just because of, you know, having a son and having someone that age who I could have very much imagined, you know, getting put over. And if it was a cop who, you know, really didn't have a good handle on themselves that they could just, you know, make a five second decision that would change my life forever. Wow. Well, I just, well, listening to your stories are very intense, but thank you for just including us in your journey. Something significant I feel over both of you guys and why I wanted to have your voice on my channel is just like, I love your heart for the Lord, but I love your heart for reconciliation. And in that reconciliation is justice because um, you guys didn't get to hear some of our conversation uh, pre-call, but even Nikki was sharing about how she had some really racist encounters with Korean American people when she was younger. And hearing that for the first time, I just feel even honored that you would share that with me, but also that when we met as friends, like when we met through Dan, you ne never closed your heart to me. I never have had that feeling. And so I'm so grateful for that. So thank you for sharing that because that is just so intensely painful. And I'm so, I just wanna say even publicly, like I am so sorry for the pain that you have experienced both of you. And Nikki, to you directly, like, the pain you've experienced from Korean people, you know, Korean American people, that really my heart is that we can join together and really fight for the change together. And so I think even these racial injustices among different people groups, among different minority groups in this hour is also being highlighted. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just, I love you guys. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, can, yeah. I, can I jump in and say something really fast though? Yeah, please um, do. There's nothing in me naturally that wants me to, 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 to bury the proverbial hatchet when we talk about people who've done us wrong. Um, the desire to actually want to see people as individuals and to give everyone the benefit of the doubt um, comes from really knowing that I don't have a heaven to hell to put people in one, two, like I've been commanded by my savior to forgive. Mm. It doesn't mean I'm going to forget from the standpoint of how to govern myself accordingly, hold people accountable for what their choices are. Mm. Um, but I know that forgiveness is an absolutely essential element of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mm. So I don't get to pick who I get to forgive. Mm. I just don't, that's just not an option. Yeah. Um, so if that's the case, then I have to actually be at a place where if I want to be like Jesus and grow in the fruits of righteousness, then I have to grow in my ability to forgive. When I said grow, like mm -hmm. you may not start off early in your journey with the grace to handle the things that people have been through. Um, but like all fruit that's worth growing, it takes time to go mature. Like that fruit is gonna be growing. Right. Um, and I can't take credit for being able to walk in places and enjoy, like I understand one of the very first times that us, us had we had a, we had a and gave a, we all met together with you taught us how to make sushi, 
Oh, like, really? I don't even remember. remember. That. Like, yeah, like the, <laughs> the Damrows, um, before uh. they were married, the Kims before they were, before they were married, right? Uh-huh. Like, you, we all sit there going, look, I never made it. I enjoy it. I enjoy it immensely, but I never had been trained in the arts. Um, <laughs> and to be in that community, we uh-huh. were actually enjoying each other, acting silly, learning how to make some really good food. That happens because... <laughs> My God is committed to reconciling people one to another mm-hmm. under his grace and for us to be a genuine, authentic relationship. Um, and it starts with him, and we get the privilege of walking it out down here. And I'm I'm worse off for it if I refuse to participate in that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I love that you mentioned that because what you're sharing with me is like, it's honestly a choice. Like, you chose to... Um, you know, walk in that like, okay, this is uncertain waters. I'm not used to these people. I'm not used to eating sushi or making it, but I'm choosing to walk in something different. And I think that all of us really, I don't need, I don't remember it, but it doesn't surprise me. But I love that example because I think that we all learn, you know, as we're getting to know each other, as we're um, loving each other and hearing one another's experiences that's where you know our compassion grows our empathy grows and we really are walking like jesus like he is god and he came down to the earth to walk among us why like i wouldn't choose that but that's because i'm human (laughs) you know what i mean so i love that you shared that thank you dan um okay next question what are some things you would like to share with our listeners especially those in the body of Christ regarding racism? Well, um, the first thing I would say that would pick up on what Dan was just sharing, that, um, you know, learning how to love people from different backgrounds is a process. Mm. Um, It's not something that comes naturally to humans, (laughs) generally. Um, And it does, as you said, it's a choice and it's an investment. So if that's an area that you want to grow in, you can, it is attainable, first of all, you can definitely do that, um, but it's a commitment and you have to choose to invest resources. So that could be, those resources could be, um, you know, reading material, it could be joining groups. There are different cross-cultural groups that are actually set up, you know, in communities, you can find them online um, where people want to get to know um, individuals from other cultures. It can be, you know, reaching out to people at your church and that, you know, look different than you and just saying, hey, you know, love to get to know you better. You know, obviously it's a little hard during COVID, but maybe a Zoom call if you can't do dinner or something. Um, But it's, you know, looking for opportunities and, you know, as a Christian is praying and asking God to bring those opportunities to you. Mm, Amen. Um, You know, and then being willing to take them. I think what is can be. Um, and definitely something I experienced when I was younger, because when, by the time we got married, Dan was uh, familiar with uh, people from a lot of different cultures than I was familiar with. Mm. So I was sometimes tagging along and it was newer for me. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a little bit of fear back then, like, oh, am I going to say the wrong thing? Or am I going to unintentionally offend somebody? And you can feel like you don't want to participate or say anything because you just don't want to upset someone, but mm. that's definitely not the way to go because you really limit yourself and you won't be able to develop the relationships mm-hmm. that you need. Because when you develop relationships with people, then they can say to you, hey, you know, just so you know, <laughs> you probably shouldn't say it that way. Um, 
Mm. But you can't have, you know, you don't really get the opportunity to grow and learn if you don't really put yourself out there. And, you know, if your heart is right and you're trusting God to help you, you don't really have to be afraid because if you do Mm -hmm. get confronted because you made a mistake or said something wrong, just see it as an opportunity for growth. Mm. Mm, That's good. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I can say that, um, I have more bad news to share. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be offensive about <laughs> it. And you're probably going to get your feelings hurt. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Now, in the church, we can say, oh, that's being negative. I don't receive that, brother. Well, the reality is, if that's how you take it, then that means you're assuming that you could go through something that you're unfamiliar with, an unfamiliar setting, with the risk involved, <laughs> and so you're going to manage it perfectly the first time. Mm-hmm. And I said a negative pronouncement over you just now. Well, the reality is you had a ridiculous expectation about your own humanity and what you really don't know about things. You mm-hmm. think that you're going to come in some setting you've never been in and ace the test for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that means you really think that you have all your stuff together and there isn't much difference between how you do things and somebody else does. And if that's your attitude, then you're not in a place where you're really going to learn and grow because you think you're going to get it right get it right the first time you're gonna ace it and move on mm. that's that's just arrogance and hubris has nothing to do with the gospel like i am not responsible for understanding things that i don't know anything about i don't know i'm not i'm not a bad person because i don't know i'm only a quote-unquote bad person if i'm not willing to listen and learn and the risk being looked at foolishly for having broken a more or saying the wrong thing out of a pure heart, not out of ill intention, but you don't know what you don't know. And if you're not willing to make those mistakes or you you want to get it right the first time, so you're going to prep mm. first, that's, that sounds like the enemy's postponing an opportunity for you to grow in humility as you learn to embrace people who aren't like you. Um, so when it comes down to it, we're going to make mistakes. But last time I checked, I thought Jesus died for those. Mm. I thought the cross was enough. I thought like the, the bond that we have That's in the spirit is way stronger than my faux pas or my missing a social cue. I mean, not missing, I mean, not understanding something. I thought, I thought the cross was an eternal victory over division, not a temporal one. Mm. So if it is a permanent internal bond that we have in Christ, then why are we really so afraid that we got to get it perfect the first time around? Hmm. Or we just, we just all up in our feelings as the kids say, and like making ourselves the center of the, the center of the situation and not mm-hmm. loving people like but when it comes down to you're gonna make mistakes like just deal with it like you make mistakes at home so make mistakes someplace else that's good well, I, I i tend to wrestle with perfectionism <laughs> so thank you dad because i think that was a word for me and as you're talking <laughs> i was reminded of um a time when we lived overseas And, you know, we're there and there was a huge refugee crisis at the time. And so, you know, when we first got there, I see the women sitting in the rain on the cardboard boxes with their three-year-old kid, you know, and I have a three-year-old kid. So I would just like picture myself like, and, and I had to do something for them. Like I just, the Lord grew and stretched my compassion, but then I actually had a very negative encounter where I gave, um, I just had this idea where it was Easter and I just wanted to give some refugees like some cash, 
Like, you, so usually I would give food, but this amount of cash to an American is not that much. It was probably like 15 bucks or something. But what actually happened after that was, um, so I gave it to this one woman holding a baby begging. Okay. You know, I, I had a good intention, <laughs> but then what happened is like for the next hour, she, I, we saw her as a family tell this other now i don't know if they were refugees some people said that the way they were aggressive seems like they were gypsies these kids came up to us a group of kids started begging for money and would and followed us like a foot behind us everywhere we went for over an hour and our family we were like trying to lose them and like we'd go into one store they'd follow us into the store we'd go into another store They'd follow us into another store and it was like really scary when finally Chris and I were just like, we need to just book it. We're going to go home. Like no one's helping us. We need to just figure this out on our own. So we, as a family, so five kids following, trailing with us, we grabbed the kids and start running back to our apartment and they just camped out outside of our apartment for a couple hours. Wow. And I remember what happened after that experience was my heart toward the refugees just boom became like mm -hmm. a stone and i was like i'm not helping them anymore i'm scared yeah. you know and so to me um then as i kept passing them week after week because there were you know you'd walk on the street just go up the street and there were five you pass you know yeah. one day i finally felt the lord's like eunice are you gonna keep passing them they need help <laughs> And I'm like, Lord, Lord, I'm going to keep passing them. <laughs> but then I just see this like toddler crying for food, you know, and I'm like, how can I keep what am I doing? Like, why am I even here? Like, what am I doing? But I, um, the reason why I sh share this story and then the Lord just used that to kind of soften my heart up again. And so then it was like, you know, I'd run into the store, get some snacks for them again, bring it out to the parents and um, the reason why I'm sharing that is because, like you said, fumbling, we're going to make mistakes. I think for me, I didn't want to acknowledge that I could make a mistake, like you said, or like, or that, you know, I just wanted to do things too perfectly, or I just, or I just wanted everything to just work out perfectly. Right. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you're right. There's times that is not going to happen. <laughs> but will we like pick up from that like you know maybe our pride was hurt or maybe mm -hmm. we just felt like unsteady like are we how are we going to recover from that so thanks Dan for sharing that because that is convicting to me because like I said I'm a perfectionist in <laughs> some ways <laughs> so that's something I think I need to wrestle with the Lord with you know yeah yeah and I think you bring up a very good point about um, you know, how we want things to always work out well. Um, and, you know, we can, I'm thinking of a situation where you could try to be, you know, open to learning about somebody's culture or supporting them through a difficult time. Um, and they're just not receptive, <laughs> you mm. know, they're not ready to do that. You yeah. know, it, it, it does take two, you know, mm. and sometimes people aren't, aren't there. Um, and I think you, it's, it's good to kind of count the cost and be aware of that ahead of time, because otherwise it can be so discouraging that you do just want to give up, especially mm. if you're you know pretty new 
to it, but it is important to remember that I think two things, one that you're doing it, not just for other people, but you're doing it for the Lord because he's called you to love others. Um, mm. even when they're not nice to you, you know, yeah. because of the attitudes. Um, so part of it is you should do it anyway. Um, but mm. obviously that can be easier said than done because we are human. Um, and then I think the other piece is just recognizing that if it's a process for you, it's a process for other people too. Um, mm. and so there are going to be some people that are going to respond well and be willing to work with you and some people that aren't. Um, mm. and then the other thing I think you, you highlighted, which is important and definitely something I've grown through. Um, and I think honestly, anyone who lives in America and many other countries, you know, we all kind of grow up kind of in the stew of a racist society. So mm. we are influenced by it, whether we mean to be or not. Um, is the idea that when you don't know a lot of people from a particular group, it's very easy to take one or two experiences and generalize those mm. across the group. Um, yeah. and, so, and then when those experiences are negative, it's bad, right? Because then now you're making assumptions about a whole group of people and you, it's just easy to distance yourself from that group, which then right. just reinforces those like negative experiences that you you had so that that's something I experienced I did experience growing up because I was um assaulted by a, a woman who was white when I was little oh. and that was that took me I know I feel like it's like and another and another but um, no that that's terrible that took me like a long time to get over um and I didn't even realize you know I had like negative associations for a while but you know now I don't have those associations, but it wasn't immediate, you know, it was something that took time. And part of it was having more and more experiences, having roommates and, you know, spending a lot of time around people and then realizing like, wait, why am I, you know, associating that one experience with a whole group? And I, you know, rationally, you know, that doesn't make sense, but when you don't have a lot of experiences, it's easy to subconsciously do that. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's, yeah, that makes sense why that was painful for you to open your heart up again. Um, oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, but Nikki. I think, you know, I know it feels, it's, it is sad, but we, I think we both are actually hopeful, you know, so I hope that comes across because I think that, you know, meaning there's a saying it's a process, meaning there's an opportunity for growth and, you know, for people who don't have any connection with others apart, you know, who don't have a relationship with God and don't have that potential Christian connection, I think it's even more difficult. But the fact that we do, um, and I've heard it described as like a third culture, like it really can serve as a bridge uh, where we can mm -hmm. connect, where we already have something in common that we can draw on and draw from. Um, and as, and you know, if you have the Holy Spirit, like he's giving you the power to engage in those difficult conversations to be compassionate toward people that you really don't understand their perspective or their way of being or their way of living. Um, mm -hmm. So I am, even though I've had negative experiences and other people have definitely experienced far worse, um, I still think there's hope. Yeah, no, the hope definitely comes across. I think just as a friend, my heart's just like, oh no, like mm -hmm. <laughs> how did that, you know, that just is heartbreaking to me um, because you're right, it's, it's so fascinating to me being in Colorado right now, even like with all the stuff, the um, Asian hate that's been arising in yeah. the news, right? Being yeah. in Colorado, I'm realizing my experience is so different than some of my friends who are living in these big cities where it's like, you mm -hmm. know, time and time again. And now it's like people that they know or like a friend of a friend 
you know, or it's happening, you know, something happened at the church, things like that. And now that's where I'm just like, wow, like, um, why I want to have diverse voices on, I don't even just mean ethnically diverse. I mean, even like mm -hmm. living in different parts of the US, mm -hmm. I'm realizing yeah. our voices are really different. Like what you said, like your mm -hmm. experience growing up is very different from even Dan's experience. Mm -hmm. um you know growing up in the suburbs versus like more um cities or whatever and so Ooh. so thank you so much for sharing that perspective um i guess for the last question i just wanted to ask you guys do you have any advice for those listening on how to respond in this hour i mean i think some of it we've kind of talked about already which is the idea of just being willing and being open asking god for opportunities um mm -hmm. being willing to take risk um i think as you mentioned before you know if you know that you struggle with perfectionism you know put that out there in your prayers too <laughs> um i think we all do to a degree honestly um yeah. you know maybe some areas more than others um and I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with your willingness. Um, at the same time, I do think it's very important to not um, make it appear as if this is just an individual issue. Because um, I think racial justice also requires structural changes. Mm -hmm. And um, so whether that's at a church level, community level, state, country, et cetera, um, you know, within our institutions, you know, there's a lot of things individuals can do, and I think we should do the things we can, but there's a lot of things we can't change on our own. You know, you really need people to come together to work to make those changes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I get the sense that there is an environment now where people are willing to make more changes than they have been in the past, which I think is also a positive thing. So if you're a Christian and you're, you feel a tug, you know, in that area, then I would say get educated on, you know, what kind of legal changes may be coming around. Maybe if your church is having discussion groups or things, you know, be a part of those um, mm. opportunities so that, you know, yes, pay attention to your own heart, but also think about, you know, what are some larger um, structures that you can help reform as well. Wow. Along those lines, we thought about a passage um, in the book of Luke about the Great Samaritan, the Good, mm. the Good Samaritan. Um, and obviously the whole context is of people, someone who had no business, no right or expectation to be intervening in the, in, in the, in the rescue of a, of a, of a, someone who fell under, under, under attack. Um, the Samaritan had no, he was the last person anyone would expect to be, um, the, the Christ figure, the Christ figure of the story, mm. one of his own resources, out of his own energy, at his own risk of peril was to sacrificially throw himself in and help resolve someone else's issues. Um, so when you think about the people, the body of Christ, Christians being able to want to be in the moment now, like how, what, what can we do? Mm -hmm. We have to have eyes to see the situations around us that look tragic. Like we can't close our eyes to tragedy. Mm -hmm. um, if we choose to, we're no different from the scribe, the priest that just yeah. kept it moving in the name of wisdom, in the name of faith. Well, I don't want to get my hands mm. dirty. I don't want to, people want to, I, I'm getting ready to go to service in the morning. I got to, I can't be caught up in that drama. Yeah. But, and I can't imagine coming before a savior who gave you the opportunity to respond in compassion to somebody at a time of weakness and brokenness under someone's ill fortune. You go on, 
like John Piper says, oh, look at my look, look at my seashell collection. Like, look at all the trickets I gathered instead of actually meeting people where they are in time of tragedy. Like, how do we stand before God, our Savior, who put everything on, on, the, on the line, but we play it safe? <laughs> like, how do we, I don't even understand how, it doesn't even make any sense to me. Yeah, um, that makes sense, yeah. And it's, this isn't like any in-depth, highfalutin exegesis. Like Jesus said, the Samaritan is the one who loved his neighbor. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why this is even a discussion. Um, <laughs> because I don't think it takes an awful lot to get the point. This is one of the clearest, clearest demonstrations of what it actually means just to love people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's and so I, I think that it's, um, you know, thinking about the way the question was posed, which was unfortunately, I think, by a lawyer, um, which was <laughs> to say, you know, you know, who, you know, really trying to say, well, who is my, you know, who am I supposed to be neighborly to, you know, who is my neighbor, who, who do I have to, you know, <laughs> and, and Jesus just flipped the script and he said, no, the question is, who are you a neighbor to? Oh, um uh-huh. you know like you're supposed to be the neighbor <laughs> um yeah it's not supposed to be a question of exclusion you know how can i figure out who i have a responsibility to <laughs> don't I? but it's like it's really more about inclusion who can i be a neighbor to so oh, i think good. that's important yeah and i think it's you know i think it's important though too like this and i'm not a historian you know on the bible but i do know that the samaritans and the jews didn't get along too well generally as people groups so mm-hmm. I think that's also an area to think about, you know, ethnic and racial division and to say, you know, yeah. the Samaritan overcame that. He didn't use it as an excuse to not help to say, oh, well, he's one of those. So I don't, you know, have any responsibility to him. Like he just didn't do that. And, you know, for us, it's, sometimes it's not just race. It could be political affiliation. It could be any other category that people use as a reason to see themselves as different and to not help. Um, yeah. But I think the other areas, you know, moving beyond the um, the Samaritan, that the other scriptures that come to mind are, um, as we talked about before, you know, preferring one another Mm -hmm. um, and also just mourning with those who mourn. Um, And I think there's definitely been, you know, it's been really heartbreaking for me to see the instances of hate against people of Asian descent. Um, Mm -hmm. Some of that that has been against African-Americans and I do apologize, you know, to you for that because that's heart-wrenching. but I think that it's easy sometimes when it's not so obvious um, to say, well, you know, let me figure out a reason why I don't have to agree with this other person's position um, mm. or this group has a certain view that I don't agree with. Yeah. So it's that's a reason that I can be rude to them or that's a reason that I don't have to show compassion to their mm-hmm. And, you know, ultimately my view based on scripture is you know i don't think it's about whose view is right or wrong it's really about just mourning with those who mourn and showing Mm. compassion when people are going through difficult circumstances and that's just part of you know what when he calls us to love one another you know i should be crying because my sister's crying whether i kind of get it or Mm. not yeah no thank you for sharing that that's so good um Honestly, through this past year with the different stuff coming up in the news um, against the black and African-American community, the Lord has pointed the Good Samaritan to me. And here's another layer I feel like he's uncovered to me, which is if you think about that story in the Bible, 
the good Samaritan doesn't sit there asking questions. How did you get beaten? What is your history? (laughs) And what is your criminal record? And then I will help you. And that's something I feel like the church needs to really pray about and consider. Because Mm -hmm. the Lord didn't ask us to have a list of all these questions. And if they're all checked off, then you help. The Good Samaritan in the Bible helped. And he had no idea what, what, what... um, the circumstances were surrounding why this guy he found was beaten on the ground. Like he had no idea. And he still gave his money. He still mm-hmm. gave his time. Mm-hmm. He inconvenienced himself to step yeah. out and help. And that's something I feel mm-hmm. like God's seriously been convicting our whole family about is like, how can we come alongside our brothers and sisters who are hurting right now? You know, whatever ethnicity they are, how can we come alongside and help? And before we ask 10,000 questions, let's help, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, I don't know. I, no, that and that's, 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 that's essential. And I'm, I'm glad you said that because it, it begs the question, like, who's worthy of help? Mm. Who's oh. worthy of help? Like, who do I really have to help? Who's deserving of my effort? my time, my energy, my resources, as if the gospel hasn't called us to lay our life down. Yeah. It hasn't called us to lay our life down for one another. Yeah. Like, that was the expectation. Like, you can't read John 17. You can't read John 15, where he's talking about laying your lives down one for another. This is not a suggestion. It's a demonstration of following the way that Jesus lived on earth and commanded disciples to live once, once he left. Mm. So... It's really not a question of, should we? Do we go how to do that? How to do that effectively? How to do that safely? How to do that productively over the course of time? Those are all really good questions, but it's not a question of if, it's a matter of how. Mm, Yes, amen. Uh And that's when it comes down to it. It's like, I'd rather make a mistake trying to do the right thing than check off a whole bunch of boxes waiting up to do the perfect thing. Oh. Um, and, but that's but that maybe yes because I'm willing to take a risk, and not yeah. everybody can do that, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because it comes down that we all are going to be committed to this cause of being who God calls to be in Christ. Maybe some people get it a little faster, so to speak. But as long as, as long as we keep moving in the direction that causes God to be glorified, Jesus to be lifted high, we win in Jesus' yeah. name. Amen. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, yeah. Dan. The other. I'm sorry, I guess I Oh, no, no, yes, please. Yeah, and one thing that um, came to mind when you were speaking was if we have, a, based on your comment too, Eunice, that if you, we have this list of criteria that people have to satisfy before we um, are going to help them, you know, that scripture of, you know, you, you'll be judged by the same standard by which you judge others. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Coming to mind, you know. Oh, Jesus. And, yeah, like, do we, you know, like, do we really want someone else to pull a list out on us? Yeah, that's so I, real. I know I've been in some situations that were partially oh, my own fault. Um, and I still would like help, you know, <laughs> in those situations. That's um, true. Yeah, you know, and then also, like you said, I mean, who... It's not, it's just not really for us to judge. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be in a position even to help everybody, but your heart has to be open, first of all, and you have to be, I think, you know, just willing to see people as people. Mm, 
That's so and good. And not and not hold them to a standard perfection that you wouldn't hold yourself to. Yeah, that's real. Mm-hmm. No, that's so good. Thank you guys so much. I think um no, this has been like a very helpful and hopeful conversation to me. So thank you guys both so much. Um, I think what I want to just explain some of my heart to my listeners is um, the bottom line is none of us have done this perfectly, you know, but I have a hope and a vision that moving forward, we can see change. And that's why I really want to have these conversations, because I think that as we get more perspectives, more awareness, um, I personally think it could help build our compassion so that we can move forward and see change. So even I'm talking to even the people who feel like, you know, in the past, you've never cared about this issue. Okay. But right now I feel like the Lord is highlighting this. So how can we join together with our brothers and sisters of every ethnicity? Like how do we unite, you know? Oh, did you want to say something, Dan? Oh, no. No. Oh, you're saying amen. (laughs) No, I so appreciate that. So, yeah. How do we, you know, that's the question I want to ask. Like, you know, let the Holy Spirit work in your heart, you know, is Lord, what do you want me to do? Is there anything I can do to see racial justice in this nation? So thank you all so much for watching. And again, thank you, Dan and Nikki, so much. I have loved our conversation today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a rating and review. And we'd be especially honored if you would pass along the podcast or recommend it to a friend. Before we sign off, I just wanted to mention one of the most popular services we offer, which is coaching for individuals and couples. So on this podcast, we're able to share biblical truth, practical wisdom, but we're speaking on in very broad terms. That's just the nature of the medium, right? Uh, but what coaching allows us to do is to get into the specifics of your story or your situation and apply these principles in a more focused way. And while we can't promise that we'll always find a solution or resolution, many times we've found that it's helpful for people just to have someone to listen and process life with. Sometimes that's actually what we need the most. Um, So if that sounds appealing and you're still not quite sure, we even offer a free 30-minute session for new clients. That's a great way to try out coaching with no financial obligation. Um, You can find more information about coaching or our other services at our website, thejourneyhome.global. And finally, if you want to connect with us, you can email us, you can connect by social media. All of the links to our accounts are in the show notes below. We truly love hearing from you and we promise we actually will read and respond to your emails or social media interactions. Um, So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.